Recently on eBay, there was an auction, I believe this was in June of this year, there was an auction for a lunch with a man named Warren Buffett. Warren is one of the richest men in the world, and the bidding started off at $25,000 for this lunch. Now, the bidding slowly went up until the eventual winner who purchased a lunch with Warren Buffett for $19,100,000. That is an expensive lunch right there. I am really hoping that whatever question you had to ask Warren Buffett got you at least $20 million back in return. But I also can't help take note that the winning bid was $19,100,000. So somebody got outbid by $100 at the end because that's the increments that the bid goes up on. I, I would be relieved if I lost that bidding war. Because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to get, I don't, they, they didn't release, it was an anonymous winner and they didn't release what questions were asked, what answers. But I'm going to guess that Warren Buffett, the first piece of advice was, don't ever spend $19 million on lunch again. Not good financial management. How do you get ready for a $19 million lunch? If I, ha if I got to ask a $19 million question, my question would feel completely inadequate. I don't know what clothes I would wear. I would expect that to be some really good food. Like that food better change my life. But how do you get to the point where you feel ready for such an important sit down and meeting with someone? I, man, I would have butterflies in my stomach all day leading up to that moment. We, we understand, and you probably have some heroes in your mind that you think of, like, if I got to sit down with this president or this songwriter or this athlete, if I got to sit down with them, I would be just nervous as I've ever been getting ready for that moment. We all have people in our life that, that we, we, we respect so much that it causes nerves in our heart and mind when we think about getting to talk with them. And we can understand, okay, there's that. And today's message is really wanting to prepare our hearts to better pray to our Heavenly Father. And I start off talking about this lunch with Warren Buffett because as you think of the cost of getting to sit with him, the pressure of getting to sit with him, and we think about those things, I just want to bring to mind we have lost reverence for the fact that we get to enter the throne room of God. Like we have lost a proper grip and perspective on the fact that when we pray and ask in Jesus' name that the one who spoke the universe into existence, you have his attention. And we have treated the audience that we get to have with God as a very small thing when in fact it cost the ultimate price for us to have that kind of access. So today, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can open to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. And I want to begin to ask the question that when we think about the way that we, we interact with our Heavenly Father, when we, the way that we pray, just what's happening in your mind and in your focus, are you praying to the God who sits on the throne? The one true powerful God, or are you praying to just a God of your creation? 
And even the person who, who says, well, I'm a believer, I'm going to tell you, it's so easy to slide into this concept where you've changed God's nature and you've changed his personality and you've changed how he feels about sin to where he just suddenly sees everything the way that you see it. And you're praying to this God who just is permissive over all things and we slide into this. And Jesus is answering the question in this passage about, about how we should be praying. And he gives us an example, and it's going to be a very common passage to a lot of you, but there's going to be some points that maybe you've skipped over that I think are going to be very helpful for us to study together. So starting at verse 5, and we'll put this up on the screen, and Jesus is teaching, and he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, as this passage starts in verse six, when it says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. It starts off, separating the truth that there are people who they pray for spiritual accolade. They want to look like they have it together in front of other people. And he's specifically identifying people who will come into church and they will pray these spiritual prayers and they will take these spiritual positions and what they're doing, they're doing it in front of the eyes of other for the attention and for the respect. And Jesus is saying, there is no spiritual reward for what they've done. In fact, their reward, they got attention for it, and that's all that they get. And I want to first start to tell you, your prayers, God doesn't need you to put on a show for anybody else. In your worship, in your adoration of him, when we sing praise together, God does not need you to impress the person around you. And this should be a freeing thing. And some people are like, oh, I don't want to do too much because maybe then I'll lose my spiritual reward. What he's saying is that if your intention is attention, if your intention is to get attention, you've received your reward. But if your intention is to just authentically worship God, then that's great. But when it comes to your, your, your spiritual life, your prayer life, really where you need to go for your most intimate times of prayer are those places in secret so that you can remove any of the pressure of what does someone else think? If I, if I get down on the floor and I pray, you're not worried about what other people think. If you're kneeling, you're not worried. If your hands are lifted to heaven, if your eyes are closed, if they're open, it doesn't matter when you're in that quiet place because it's just you and God. And there's always, you know, for the con a conservative preacher, there's always a fear when this word pops up, but you can't ignore it when it's in scripture. And verse six says, and when your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's not my words, that's scripture. 
Jesus says when he sees you coming to him in prayer, in secret, not for the attention or the eyes of anyone else, he says there is reward for that. And so then the question with those two circumstances, am I praying for other people's attention or am I praying to my heavenly father? It gets down to the question of where the heart of your prayer is really going. Is the heart of your prayer that you want respect from people or is the heart of prayer that you want to bring your concerns to God himself? And and this is where so many people who've been around church for a long time, they can slip up in their faith because we get so comfortable around the idea of God hearing our prayers and God being close to us that we miss the truth of his personality and his character. When you pray, when you begin to bow your head, I want to challenge, encourage, remind you, whether it's a prayer before a meal or that quiet place at your house where you go to pray or at times in church where you're praying to him, I want to challenge you to quiet your mind for just a moment and recognize who it is that you speak to. Because when the prophet Isaiah was faced with with who God was in in chapter six and his glory just filled the temple. It it was more than he could even take in. He said, woe to me, I'm a dead man. When Moses caught just a a trailing glimpse of God's glory, it, it, it caused him to shine in a way that people couldn't even tolerate looking at him. I want, I want to affirm in your mind that God is so powerful, that he is so majestic, that, that he is fear-inspiring if you were able to get a look at him, that when you stop and consider all that he is, before you begin to speak, it changes the way that you speak. When you have a concern and a fear, when you stop and reflect on all of who he is, before you speak the concern, your faith will get to a healthy place where you already know, I know God can handle this. If he can speak a word and calm the seas, he can handle this. If he can speak a word and set the stars in their place, he can handle this. If before generations were born, he was talking about the Messiah that would be and how he would be born and how he would die, and he had all of those pieces in motion before one of those days ever came to be, you will be reassured that he can handle the situation that is causing your heart anxiety. But I'm going to tell you, one of the reasons that we go through times of prayer and we leave that time of prayer without any confidence that God is going to act, it's because we haven't even been praying to God. We have just been talking through our concerns to our own mind. Jesus puts a little bit of a highlight on the way that we speak to him, and he uses the illustration father. It's one of the most common ways that we are taught to relate to God is that he is like a father. And there's further highlight in here that he is like a heavenly father, Because we all have fathers, but not all of our fathers are good news to our life. I hear you on that. But what Jesus is saying is that he is a heavenly father. He is always perfect. His word is always right on time. He is always present. He always shows up when he says that he is going to. And so when Jesus calls God a father, he's talking about a good and heavenly father that knows how to give his children what they need at the times that they need it. One of the other times where Jesus is teaching about prayer, he compares it to an earthly father and says, which one of you fathers, when a child says he's hungry, you say, Here, here's a stone or here's a snake. No, you, 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 your, your, heaven, your earthly fathers know how to give children what they need. How much more so does your heavenly father give you what you need in the time that you need it? 
You have a father who cares about you. You have a father who is able to provide for you what you need. He is a father, but then it says, but hallowed is his name. And hallowed, this word isn't used very commonly in, in the way that it's here. It means holy. It, 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 it says that his name is holy. And this is important because this gets into the whole reverence concept of when you pray to God, understand who you're talking to, understand who you get to bring your concerns before because his name is holy. It is set apart. And when we think of fathers on earth, especially across television today, we have a whole lot of the picture of like a Homer Simpson bumbling stupid father. It's cute and funny television, but in practice, it's not really who you want guiding your life. And the passage is is telling you, you have a father and, and holy is his name. Hallowed is his name. His name is set apart from all other names. And we, we need more men in our culture who have some gravitas to them, who ha- have some respectability with them. And, and I, you know, I'm not as silly as some people would like. I, I might be a more serious guy, but I lean towards that side where I have an appreciation for guys who they have that serious nature to them. And so I, I've been accused of having intimidating personality, but I still think I'm a nice person. I was part of an interview one time and there's five of us interviewing this one candidate. And afterwards, I don't know how this happened, but she gave us a review of us as interviewers. And she's like, you're nice, and you, you ask good questions. And she pointed at me, and she's like, and you scare me? I'm like, let me tell you if I want to hire you for this job. She did get hired, but that doesn't matter. But there's a seriousness to me, and, and some of you guys have felt that and seen that from the stage, and then when one of my kids run up and starts climbing on you, it's, uh, climbing on me, it's like, okay, there's a softer side to Paul too. Like, there's this truth, there, there's, you know, there's tender spots to me and there's rough spots to me, and I'm sure that's true of you and it's true of other fathers too, but your heavenly father, he, he has a tenderness for you. He calls you beloved. He calls you adopted. He says no one can pluck you from his hand. He's strong enough to keep you through any storm. But there is a side that, that he is holy and he is just. And, and just like my kids will climb over me, wrestle with me, they will joke with me, there are certain times where the dad voice comes out and I have to remind them like, hey, I'm the authority in this house. You will, you will fall in line. And, and there's both. And so when you speak to God, I, I believe there should be an affection, but there also should be this understanding. You are my father, but hallowed is thy name. Holy is thy name. You, you are set apart. You are eternal. I don't even think we can grasp that properly. We, we are so clouded by this small segment of life that we have, and we think that we have this life figured out. Can you even begin to pretend what it would be like if you have sat through 10,000 years? How much more knowledge you would have? I mean, you remember when you were 18, guys, and you understood the world completely? And now you won't even let an 18-year-old drive your car. You're like, you know nothing at 18. I can't even imagine how God looks at us when we take his word and we say to ourselves, well, that just doesn't apply to my situation, God. 
His word is always true. It is always a lamp to our feet. It is always a guide to our path. And when it gives us instruction that goes against what we think we should do, I want to tell you, your heavenly father knows. And when dad says this is how it goes, that's how it needs to go. Because he is a good heavenly father. He is a perfect heavenly father. And when you bring your concerns before him, you know you can trust him into his hands, but I think that we have minimized him into a God instead of the God. And so when it comes to your prayers, who are you praying to? Are you praying to a God that you have devised or the God who spoke the universe into being? The God who loved you so much that he sent his son, his one and only son who would suffer and die for your sins and rise from the grave to give you new life. The God who knows every word before it proceeds from your, from your lips. The God who knows every day of your life. He knows what is coming. You can trust him with what's ahead. And when you bring your concerns before him, you should think about who it is that you talk to him. He is your father who is in heaven. He is omnipotent. He is all powerful. He is omnipresent. He is all around the earth. You can never escape his pre- presence. And he is majestic. And in view of the fact that he is all of those things, Ephesians chapter three, verse 12, and we'll put this on the screen. It says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. I mean, this is an interesting dynamic that God is so holy and so perfect, but we are invited to approach him with confidence, with boldness to enter into his throne room. But we should maintain the truth in our mind that we are entering into his throne room. It's an incredible and beautiful truth that when we pray, we have access to him. When you pray, who is it that you're praying to? And if it's felt like your prayers have been going unanswered, I think there's a lot of reasons that that our prayers don't get heard. And we're going to go through a couple more of them here, but one of, the, one of the questions is, who are we praying to? The God who is or the God that we've invented? Let's set our heart towards him. He has a personality. There is truth about him that we know. And there are things that we're told about how to approach him. Just even with the repetitive nature of our prayers, because do you understand that in prayer, there is a difference between repetition and persistence? Repetition is saying the same thing over and over again. Persistence is saying, I'm not going to give up on this. I'm going to seek after this until something happens. I'm going to keep going. And you guys know the prayer that is probably prayed more than any other prayer in all of history is this prayer that I just read to you, right? Most of you guys could probably have recited it with me. You know, our Father who art in heaven. Like you, you, you could start going with me right along. But did you catch it? when Jesus said in verse 7, When you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans. The the New American Standard Bible, which is the translation that we use in Bible college, because it's just, it's not, it doesn't flow as well, but it's just very literal word for word. And the NASB, and I'm going to put this up on the screen, it translates this passage, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. This is Jesus teaching about prayer, right before he teaches the Our Father who art in heaven prayer, and he prefaces this prayer to say, don't 
just repeat things mindlessly. And then what did we do with his prayer? We turned it into something that we repeat mindlessly. We flow through it. And he's saying, I'm teaching you some principles about how to pray, but don't do it mindlessly. There's a difference between just repeating something and being persistent for something. Uh, I, I want to I compare it to this. Uh, ladies, I want you to, and men, you can imagine and translate this, but, but this was written by a man, so it's directed at ladies. I want you to imagine that you got this in your text message box from your man with me. And it was written by, actually, Napoleon Bonaparte. So I'm going to have to like try to muster up my French accent for this, which will only add to this. But imagine this showed up in your text message box. He, he's gone away on a trip, and he writes to you and says, Since I left you for war, I have been constantly depressed. My happiness is to be near you. Incessantly, I live over in memory your caresses, your tears, your affectionate solicitude. That means care or concern for someone. I had to look it up too. I know you didn't know. Your incomparable charms kindle continually a burning and glowing flame in my heart. When free from all solicitude and harassing care, shall I be able to pass all my time with you, having only to love you and to think only the happiness of so saying and proving it to you. If he texted you that, it would be spicy that night, wouldn't it? Like when y'all got together, it would be lit. You would be ready. You would be happy to see him. But if he followed up that text message with, he's like, I, I thought you'd like that. I don't really know what it means. I just copied it from Google and sent it to you. You'd be like, okay, less points, but still points. But then he copies and sends it to you the next day. You might have hearted it the first day. You maybe just give it a little like the second day. The third day, he sends it again. You'd be like, okay, copy and paste something new. The fourth day, the fifth day, the third month, the fifth year, 10 years of the same text message, it means nothing to you at that point. And if he's like, I sent this to you because I thought you would like it, I don't even understand it. You're saying you don't even understand it. It means nothing to you? You don't understand that you're supposed to be depressed when you're away from me? You're not dreaming about our times together over and over while you're away from me? Like you don't understand those things? His message would mean nothing to you. So it is with these prayers that we've memorized and we just say on automation and it means nothing to our heart. That's not the kind of prayer that God responds to. The, the, the type of prayer that moves God, God's heart is the type of prayer that moves from your heart. And you don't need to be eloquent with it. You need to be authentic with it. And it's okay to pray about the same thing over and over, but I don't think that it's biblical to repeat the same prayer over and over and over. We, we, we see Jesus teaching in Luke 18, and he gives this parable about a persistent widow. And I'm going to read it to you. It's a long passage, and so I'm not going to put it on the screen, but Luke 18, if you want to go look at it later. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. There's the reason for the story right there. All right, and then he, he said in verse two, he said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, he was very self-aware of his theology and his social life. Even though I don't care what people think, yet 
because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is setting up this principle that even an unjust judge, if you badger them enough, they will give you justice. Even though they have little to no morality, they will give you justice. And he says, how much more so a judge who is just, your heavenly father, when you come to him time and time again, when you're persistent about what you need, he's going to answer that quickly. But Jesus asks the question, but when I get back to earth, I wonder if I'm going to find the people who have the faith to even ask. That's what he's saying as he wraps that up. When I get here, are there people that are going to be bringing their concerns to God? And so should you be praying about the same thing more than once? Yes. Pray until you get the answer. Keep seeking after it, even if the answer is no, because you know what? There are times where God's answer is no to what you pray about. But if it's on your heart, you need to keep praying about it until God either changes your heart or changes the situation. And when you're praying about something, it's okay if your heart is not in a healthy place. It's a good thing to pray when you're angry. Because if you start praying when you're angry, you won't be angry that long. When you start praying when you're tempted, it's going to give you the strength to push the temptation back. Even when you feel like you're falling into a temptation and God moves your heart and you understand you should start praying, start praying then. And and you need to be persistent. You need to keep up your prayers for the things you're worried about. If you have a family member you're concerned about, you should be continuing to pray for them. And not a mindless, thoughtless prayer, but to say, God, I am gonna bring this before you every single day because I need to see your hand at work in this. You have a neighbor that, that you love and you wanna see them come to church, come to the knowledge of Christ, continue to lift them up. Someone is sick in your family. Continue to lift them up. Continue to pray, even if the answer does not come quickly. The persistence versus repetition, there's a difference, and I need you to understand one of the major differences is where your heart is at. Because even if you did pray the same prayer, if your heart is in it every single moment, God's gonna hear that. There's other prayers that we've learned Um, that that it's one of those things that when you stop and put your heart into the prayer, you question, what in the world am I doing? Why are we teaching children, you know, now I lay my head to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Why are we putting that in the mind of a child right before they go to the bed? I might die while I'm sleeping. I mean, I understand it's a common prayer and we want Jesus to take our soul at the end of our life, but I, I don't know if that's the right prayer if your heart is in there. Think about what we say. When we're bringing our concerns, when we're bringing our prayers before God, think about what we're actually saying and what our heart actually needs because I want to tell you that that your children, they have concerns that are on on their heart at the age of five, at the age of 10, at the age of 15, at the age of 20. You can get your prayer, prayer requests from your children and lift up the concerns that are on their heart. One of the other things about our prayer that I want to push and challenge you guys on is is our, our, our prayers focused on our work, our life, our kingdom, or are our prayers focused on God's kingdom? And one of the other reasons that I, don't, that I think we miss 
on, on seeing God answer prayer is just as Jesus was teaching us a concept in this prayer, saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, I love the question and it's a common question. If all of your prayers got answered today, if God just hit yes to all, would the world change or would just the car that you drive change? Would your bank account change or the situation of the homeless in the world and in our city change? Like if God answered all your prayers, are your prayers focused on your kingdom or God's kingdom? Because he says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, we'll put this up on the screen. It says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The inverse of that is true. That if we're asking things that are outside of his will, the, the answer is no. God is not a vending machine. You don't pop it in a quarter and get out what you want, but we get to be part of the kingdom that he is building. And our prayer should be reflective of that because you know what? Getting a raise is a great thing. Getting a new job where you get paid more and you have wealth, that is a great, it can be a great thing. It can be a destructive thing too. But so many of us are like, God, if you just, if you would bless me with more money, then I'll start to use that money to make a difference. And he's like, you're not doing anything to make a difference with what I've already given you. Why would I give you more? What I've in, the time that I've entrusted with, to you, you're using for your own comfort, own pleasure, own sin, and you're not using it to build the kingdom of God. Why would I bless what you're doing more now when you're not doing anything with the blessing I've already given you? Our time, our attention, our use of resources. The question is, are, are we seeking to build the kingdom or are we just building our own kingdom? And our prayers are reflective of that. Is our prayer just for our own comfort, our own wealth, our own things? Or is our prayer and our concern for our city, for those who are far from God? Because if we believe in what is referred to as the gospel, the good news of Christianity is that God so loved you that he sent his son, his one and only son, so that whoever believes will not perish, but will have eternal life. This is the good news, that there is eternal life and a way was made for us to enter into it. And there is only one name under heaven by which men must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. And if that is what we believe, then we have to have concern and compassion and care for our city that is far away from God. And if our prayers don't reflect that. We're missing out on the heartbeat of God himself. We're missing out on the heartbeat of Jesus that was on display in Luke 19, 10, when he said, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. That has to be our heartbeat too. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm gonna begin to close this out. What are we working towards? Are we working towards our kingdom or God's kingdom? Uh, I wanna wrap up with this story, which is probably familiar. Any one of you guys could probably tell the story if you have kids and you've seen your kids move from the rear-facing high chair to the forward-facing booster seat and then into a normal seat. You've experienced, there's a point where they're finally facing you and they can see where the road is and they're three or four years old and you're driving your car with them in the back seat and you hear this little voice go, you missed your turn. I did not miss my turn. You don't even know where we're going. No, you were supposed to turn there, dad. Okay. Eat your yogurt. Put something in your mouth so that you don't talk. I'm going to keep going where we need to go. Nope, you missed your turn again. And you've had this dialogue and it's cute and, it, and, it's, and it's funny, but man, it reminds me of my conversations with God sometimes. Like, 
God, you were supposed to do this right now. (laughs) Like, God, this was the turn we were supposed to take. Like, I prayed and I asked and I was persistent and you kept things going in the way that I didn't want them to go. God's answer to me in those situations is, because that's not the turn yet. The turn will come. The answer will, will arrive. It may not be right where you think it's gonna be, but you don't understand the destination that I'm taking you to. And so church, I wanna, first of all, to recap, I wanna challenge you to know who you're praying to. You have a holy, heavenly Father who will hear your prayers. We need to be persistent in our prayers, not mindless repetition, but to be persistent in our prayers, we need to be focused on the building of God's kingdom. Sometimes he builds it in a way that you wouldn't expect. There are problems, there are delays, there are unexpected trips. But even when you feel like there should have been a turn, just keep praying, keep trusting, and know that you have have access. You have a loving Heavenly Father who hears. And He knows how to give you the gift that you need at the right time. Pray together. God, we set our eyes towards your heavenly throne. Our hearts are overtaken by your majesty. The fact that you hear us, the fact that you love us, creates pause. where we have treated you with a lack of reverence we ask your forgiveness and your grace where we have ignored your voice we ask your forgiveness and where there are hurting hearts and there are concerns on minds right now I lift those to you and we trust them to your hands we expect to see you at work but we know no matter what the future looks like, we can trust you through it. And we'll continue to pour our heart out to you. We'll continue to pray our concerns to you. And we thank you that you are loving, and that you are